Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have David Schiller, the president of Lighting Solution Development. Yeah, he's a consultant, so we're going to get into him with a bit. But before we go there, Greg, we got to go back to the original, brother. The original, energyfocus.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S.com, the original. What do they got? Well, Mike, what's the best light? The best light? Yeah, the best light is, I'm going to answer it for you. It's your light. It's a light yeah. you want. Yeah, right? the one you and want. And Enfocus does that for you with a tube, with an LED tube. It fits in an existing fluorescent fixture. Everybody has fluorescent fixtures or troughers, you know, maybe LED now at this point. But at one point you had that. These are LED tubes mm-hmm. that can fit in the existing fluorescent socket. They're color tuning, dimmable, and they're a little flicker. You don't have to rewire. You don't have to do anything funky. Just get the switch on the wall, get the action going, and focus. And you know what? Just so people are watching, I'm sitting under an end focus system right now here in the studio. So, you know, we can just show, just dim it. There it goes. It dims down, right? There's the dimming. We got a switch on the wall. You can turn it up. And now we're going to go the other way um, with it. And we can go to uh, higher Kelvin temperature if we want. We can switch it out to a higher Kelvin. There it goes. It's going to 5,000K. Now it's up. Yeah, there we go. Boom. That's how Enfocus works. I got it right here in my studio, folks. That's right. So go what to What do you e- record at, Mike? I record in <laughs> uh, Get a Grip Studio. I record at 27K. No, no, color. 27. 27K. Okay, but I'm going to do 5,000 right. for this one because I just changed Ooh. it out. And I want to rock and roll here. I don't want to keep the listeners waiting. So go to E-N-E-R. G-Y-F-O-C-U-S dot com for the original and proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's right. N-E-I-L-D dot org, baby. Get associated. Come on. But for right now, David Schiller. Hey, David, how's it going? Hello, gentlemen. Going well. Thank you for having me. No problem. Say hello to Greg Eric. Good morning, Greg. Morning, Dave. Thanks for being on. So, tell us a little bit about your consulting firm and what you guys do there for advanced lighting manufacturers. What is that? What is an advanced lighting manufacturer, first of all? That's the first question. What do you mean by that? It's, it's generally the manufacturers that have been pushing the envelope uh, in the um, adoption of LED and controls and all the sort of advanced technology and of the lighting industry, which you guys know well. But the companies that are um, working to be at the front end of that revolution are, are what I refer to as the advanced lighting industry. And what, what kind of consulting uh, are you doing? Is it product related or is it marketing related or what, what are you doing with people? Turns out it's both. Uh, we help out with. Um, Product development, a lot of business development, marketing, some certification and compliance, utility rebates, uh, and that's it, and recruiting. So those are the, those are the typical kinds of services we provide. Uh, this past year with the pandemic, there's been a um, a lot of effort to help manufacturers grow despite the pandemic um, using some digital marketing techniques, and I'm hoping. Uh, we can talk a bit more about that today. That sounds like a uh, broad range of services you guys do. Is there one that you feel stronger suited towards and you have others that help with other things or what do you, how do you work it? Absolutely. I've got a, I've got a half dozen associates 
that have different strong skill sets. Um, one is great at utility rebates. Um, I have graphic designers, um, digital marketing expert, and with with all of this, with all of these people, uh, I'm able to offer that broad range of services. And I want to thank you because, according to your bio, you invented the GU24 lamp, Ace. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can start throwing the fruit at me if you want. No, man, you know how many GU24s I sold? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, of the process, so can you break that down a little? I know it might have been a while ago, but it, it's an interesting one because everybody had a medium socket, and then it was like, all right, now we're going to make it so they can't go to that back to that incandescent. They have to have a GU24 base. Unique idea. What what went into that process? How do, how long did it take? Give us the ins and outs of it. So that was two lifetimes ago. I was working for uh, the EPA Energy Star program at that time, and at that time, the program was promoting. I don't know if you remember this four pin PL lamp fixtures, mm-hmm. and they came with lots of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, people couldn't change wattage. They couldn't change. Uh, they couldn't. Oh, they couldn't dim. There were lots of issues, but uh, and those were CFL fixtures at that time. So there was an effort made to standardize what was called a socket ballast that would just twist in and out and then take the four pin PL lamp. Mm-hmm. And they agreed on a on a base for that, and it was the GU twenty four base. And then I worked with the industry to say, look, let's just skip the four pin PL altogether, go to a, a what we would call a regular CFL at that time and uh, and just integrate it with the GU24 base. And now you've got a replaceable lamps just like everybody was used to and everybody wanted. Mm-hmm. They could change wattages. Uh, they could change lamps. You know, they could, if a ballast failed, it was, it was trivial. So that was the impetus. It also was ended up being cheaper and smaller, which is very important for lighting mm-hmm. manufacturers, especially for CFLs. Um, yeah, like it exactly. reduced it reduced the overall length of a CFL. And you know, I'll tell you one thing: like we sell, I still sell thousands of that squat G twenty four, thousands of I those do. bulbs. I'm not kidding you, man. I get orders for those bulbs every single day. I the length. I don't doubt it. Um, yeah, yeah, and and even with the transition to LED, GU twenty four had a role for a while with California Title twenty four and Energy Star, but then both of those um, efforts uh, decided to go to medium screw base, and um, at this point, I imagine GU twenty four is is just replacing you know, legacy installations at this point. Not, it's not, it doesn't have the, the purpose it once did. One of my vendors has 27,000 GU24 sockets in stock. So if they, if anybody yeah. wants any, they can call that company <laughs> up. They would love to sell those. <laughs> I bet they I think would. it's 27,000. <laughs> they sent me the list of their dead stock. Do you want any of these? <sighs> nah, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. So you actually, you went through the process of in, inventing the GU24 base or you, you took the, the four pin in that and made it into a, a whole complete unit? Well, because I was with the Energy Star program at the time, um, 
my goal wasn't to own it. My goal was to get uh, the residential lighting industry to adopt it at that time. And so uh, I came up with the concept, sold it to my management. They, they liked the idea of smaller, less expensive, um, uh, easier for end users. And so I, I pushed that to the manufacturers in the program, the Energy Star program, and they adopted it. Nice. So you, you do have a product development background. Are there any other products that out there that you've invented or had a part of or patented or anything like that? Um, there were other, there were other attempts, um, maybe didn't take off like the GU24 did, had some, had some flush mount CFL downlights, tested, tested at Home Depot at one point, but, uh, that didn't, that didn't fly in the long term. Nice. So you, uh, you worked for manufacturers for a while. You worked for Energy. Did you say Energy Star, right? Yeah, EPA Energy Star. Um, and right. how long have you been doing the consulting for? Actually, celebrating my tenth year uh, doing that. So nice. um, it's been a while. Uh, worked with many, many, many dozens of of manufacturers, and um, and have had a good time doing it. Some of them have been with me for eight years of the 10. So it's been a, it's been a good run. And you do some, uh, your LinkedIn says freelance writing. I feel like I've seen your articles. So what are some of the articles you do? Who do you write for? Uh, I did, I did quite a few articles for enlightenment magazine when they were still publishing. Um, and, um, I've, uh, done some articles for, um, David Gordon's website, uh, Elect Electrical Trends, I, I believe it is. Uh -huh. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. And uh, I've had other articles in, in various trade pubs here or there. And then you are active with the American Lighting Association. Yes. I'm uh, co-chair of their engineering committee. What does that consist of? Generally, it's primarily manufacturers uh, in the American Lighting Association, so the more residential and decorative lighting manufacturers, and it's their their product development engineers get together and talk about the latest challenges in technology and regulations um, and standards. Um, some of it, I think, you know, most people would find fascinating, and some of it might make people pull their hair out uh it can get pretty technical but uh but it's always interesting you always find out the latest um cutting edge problems if not solutions because they're sharing what they're up against yeah is there any major thing you guys are tackling right now that you can share or in terms of technology um, i can i could i can share that um they've just published in the past week or so on their website, which is open to the public, uh, a new document that talks about um, the trade-off of doing socketed luminaires versus hardwired LED luminaires. Uh, from a product development standpoint, there's a lot of different kinds of trade-offs. I mean, it's, it's uh, I think it's a 30 or 40-page document, um, and it's intended to help. This version is intended to help manufacturers 
make that decision of socketed versus integrated. And there are advantages to each. It's not a, it's not one is always better than the other. What's your position? I actually think that it depends on how you look at that issue, right? So that issue is very, um, has, is multifaceted. It has a lot of different areas to it when one looks at it. So from a lighting design perspective or from a sleekness or from a, um, uh, the, that, pers- that perspective, certainly hardwired or purpose-built or whatever term you want to use to describe that type of fixture, um, you know, that is the way to go um, from that perspective. You're looking at maintenance, um, environmental responsibility, um, long-term life cycle. So what I've always said in the lighting business is we've increased the lifetime of the life's light source but we've decreased the life cycle of the, of the, of the asset, right? So in the past, you'd have a troffer. Like sometimes we retrofit troffers that are 60 years old, 50 years old, 40 years old, right? Then they're still like, they've been gutted for T12 and now they're T8 and then there were LED now and there's still the same piece of metal there in the ceiling. And so you'd have a life cycle, say, of 25 years. That's how the government would amortize a lighting system. So you would write off the capital over 25 years. You know, this 10-year warranty stuff and everything else, um, you're looking at 10-year, 5 to 10-year life cycle for uh, a purpose-built LED luminaire um, in terms of light output, in terms of drivers failing, LED arrays failing. And I think there's, there's serious environmental concerns about that in terms of embedded carbon. Like if we look at energy efficiency, like how much does it, energy does it take to make a light fixture? Right. People don't think about that, but that's very important. How much does it cost to ship it across the ocean? Right. How much energy is involved in that? Um, and then, on, you know, and then customer uh, annoyance. You know, it's very fussy to tell people they can't fix a light fixture. Like that's something that, you know, you tell somebody I had a, I had a lady email me this morning. Say, I'm building a house. What do you think of these lights? And I'm like, don't like the brand that they spec. And I also want you to know that. There's no replaceable components in that light fixture, in that little round flat panel that you're buying and putting 400 of them in your house. Um, how do you deal with that from a consulting perspective? Th- those are ethical choices, eh? That's an ethical dilemma. You know that dilemma. It, it is a, it, it's an ethical dilemma, but it's, it's a multidimensional dilemma. You said that, you know, we've increased source lifetime, but decreased luminaire lifetime. That's true with the integrated luminaires, but if you think about lamp uh, lamp luminaires, uh, you haven't necessarily reduced the life on a lamp luminaire. So that's where some of those trade-offs come in that I was talking to you about. Uh, you've clearly thought about these issues way more than most people, and and I commend you for it. Um, and that's just that's just that's just part of all the issues and, and trade-offs of lamps versus integrated. Uh, so the, the way I think about it is the higher end of the market, higher end performance, higher end style design, all of those tend to favor integrated. And then lower end tends to favor lamp um, for a whole variety of reasons. The manufacturer hunts on getting certifications and regulatory compliance to the lamp maker. Um, those are all sort of behind the scenes decisions that luminaire makers have to make. Do they tackle 
Title 24 and Energy Star, or do they let the lamp maker do the heavy lifting there? Even things like safety lifting. And so that yeah, it, it's complicated. It, but is it time for like a NEMA say or ANSI or UL or someone to step up and say, you know what? Even on the purpose built side, you know, Jaga Consortiums, another one of these uh, arenas where they discuss this stuff. Is it time to sort of firm up those mechanical form factors on LED arrays, the size of LED driving boxes? You know what I'm saying? Like to firm that up and say, look, you. LED drivers between this and this voltage and this and this output, minimum milliwatt output, whatever the hell it is, has to be this size with a screw hole here and a screw hole there. And an LED array has to be in this and the screws go here in it. And it has a little clip at the end, which we undo and we remove and we put a new one in and we clip it back in and we replace it. Is it time for, for the industry to step in and just get that done? I, I would say, you know, you mentioned Zaga, Zaga and, and Zaga Consortium definitely worked on that, um, especially at the engine level, the LED engine level. And they worked on the interconnects and making sure an interconnection was thermally, um, mechanically, and optically uh, interchangeable interoperability between brands things like that, where the mounting holes are. So Zaga, Zaga attempted to do some of what you're, what you're saying at, at sort of the LED light engine level. Um, but of course, it's voluntary to follow uh, Zaga. And in fact, there's, there's costs if you want to be certified that you're Zaga. So um, nobody has forced the industry to adopt specific module uh, form factors um, uh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure the industry didn't want that because it was evolving so quickly and, it, um, innovating so quickly. It didn't want to be hamstrung. I mean, think about it. We wouldn't want to be hamstrung by the decisions made 10 years ago on things like Disaster. the technology because it's, it's gone light years since in the past 10 years. So that's one of the big reasons, um, nobody wants Nobody wants to hamstring the industry right now with specific form factors. If things keep getting smaller and better. Greg, let me just jump in here quick. I know you want mm -hmm. I know you're hot, but let me just come in. This is where the Silicon Valley crowd has to go to hell. Because I'm I'm so sick of hearing about creative destruction and how wonderful that is and how what you need to do is you need to come into a business and disrupt the business and and you know come in hot and uh, Dude, we're not making addictive software that makes people envious of one another. Okay, the lighting is mission critical. And what happened in the lighting industry, Greg, ten years ago, is we had a whole bunch of people enter the industry and start telling the industry what was up, and all manner of mistakes and disasters happened. Okay, <laughs> we've caused the dark sky. The dark sky issue has been exacerbated beyond belief to now where it's probably a human health issue. I mean. This is all as a result of this idea of the positive surrounding disrupt and wreck up and flip the table over and all this sort of stuff that, you know, people, when they're talking about their cell phones and they're talking about uh, software that, you know, whatever people share pic naked pictures of each other with it's disrupt, disrupt. 
we're talking about critical infrastructure and it got disrupted very badly and it's almost in a recovery state david like the industry is almost recovering from this wound that it it took from you know all these people coming in say 5000k total uniformity on street lights non hps is bad 5000k is good um you know all these all these kind of uh, uh ideas that were brought in by that Silicon Valley disrupt crowd, uh, Johnny come lately in the lighting marauders. Um, and we are recovering from that. And how do we get back to the days where, and I'm serious about this, where NEMA made a lamp specification for a four pin CFL and people manufactured to that. And it, you could cross brands and you could, one ballast could work on another person's fixture. And everyone did well then, Greg. There was no problems then. Yeah, and I want David to, to chime in, but I'm just going to – I like to paint the real-world picture because this happened to me an hour ago, right before this. I was at a customer's site. Uh, we installed wide-body LED purpose-built vapor tights six years ago. What's the warranty? Five years, right? So what happens? There's there's 400-some fixtures there, and I went there, and I walked to four different buildings, and some of them have um, – Actually, some of them have tubes. That's a whole other story. Uh, the tube fixtures are working fine. How about I'll, I'll say that the LED tubes are now the wide body vapor tights are from a manufacturer that was a fluorescent high bay manufacturer. They became an LED one. Then they got bought out and they became part of a large company. Um, won't say the names or anything, but anyways, so that exact fixture you can now you can no longer buy the the same exact look. So I was there today and and these. Vapor tights had the chips in them, and some of them had a quarter of the fixture out, so like one portion of a strip. The others had half of it out, and then others were three quarters. Others were full, and and you can't replace the component. Well, you can get, you can try to get the chipboards to match, but now the manufacturer that bought that one makes four strips instead of two. So the LED strips are totally different. The drivers are totally different. So you have to replace the whole damn fixture. Six years old. They paid for a long life fixture, and that's what happens. David, before you comment, have I been to this place maybe with our sons six years ago? On a little trip <laughs> down water slides and all that? Is it that no, place? No, no, not that one. Not Because I, I went to that place in, <laughs> yeah. in 2015, and I told you after you did that job, yeah. you're going to be changing all those lights out in five years, Bob. Those are tough to get, too. We've yeah. had to replace a few. Not as bad, but this one, this was a warehouse, so no, we did not go okay. to that one. Yeah. All right, David. Well, um, I mean, you just raised again the trade-offs between lamp versus versus integrated, and you've 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 highlighted it uh, nicely. You know, maybe there's retrofit kits out there with new modules, um, and and probably would have to replace the drivers as well. Uh, that might solve that problem without replacing all the fixtures. If not. Yeah, it's a, that's a, that's a pickle. There are, there are retrofit kits that that can work for it, but again, they're, they're totally different looking. So some fixtures are going to have two strips, some are going to have four, some are going to, so from the customer standpoint, it's, it's odd. And so to Mike's point, yes, we need to set it so that everybody does it the same way so that we can replace down the road because there's nothing worse than that. Six years. Come on. That's it, two it fluorescent bulbs. That's a, a fluorescent bulb and a half. Yeah. That's that's a, the lifetime of a fluorescent bulb and a half or two fluorescent bulbs. That's it. Right. Gone. 
That's it. And we're going to keep running into that. And then, and, and, you know, we can keep doing purpose-built fixtures now. And then six years from now, same, same idea is going to happen. Or somebody can step up and say, all right, put your bolt holes here, put your driver this size, do all that. And right, David, are we ever, you say we're not getting to that point. It's not going to happen. Well, there has been in some parts of the industry, a movement back to lamp fixtures to avoid those types of problems so that you can just continue replacing lamps when they go out. Um, uh-huh. Not ev- That doesn't work for every situation, not when you want uh, low profile, high end LED design, that's typically not going to fly. Um, but but there have been movements back to lamp fixtures to avoid those headaches, like Title 24 did that, um, uh, Energy Star's done that, Zaga went to standardized light engines and some modules. So there, there's definitely been efforts to create the options for long-term relamping uh, and component replacements. But to get the best LED designs, you, you bake in some obsolescence down the road, which, which, is a, which is a trade-off, a major trade-off. And hopefully people know that when they're picking them, uh, but that's not always the case. And then there's gnashing of teeth. Yeah. <laughs> well, to shift gears a little bit, you talked about you talked about digital marketing. Give us a hang on, hang on, hang on. Before we go, oh. before we change gears, <laughs> before we change gears, I would say there's there, there's two roads here, and these are long roads. There's a whole bunch of issues in the lighting industry. The darkness issue is an issue. Okay, I think what would be an interesting play is if you know the high end, you're always going to want to be able to do whatever you want with the technology. You don't want to be restricted, right? We don't want to restrict people. But what I would say is, why not just force them to have DC to the fixture? That would make that would change the game entirely. So if you said that, like it had to be PoE or it had to be DC. So if you want to make AC light fixtures, they like break it up by electricity source. Okay. So the way to do it would be if you want to make fixtures that are AC. Okay then they have to be modular. They have to have replaceable components in these form factors that are traditional lighting shapes, T5, T8, whatever you want, okay? But if you, if you want to make these fancy schmancy suckers, the, the, the power supply has to be DC, not, the, not a on-fixture board AC to the fixture. You have to wire them with PoE or you have to wire them with DC, and I was talking. We were talking to Gabe Arnold at the Pacific Northwest National Laboratories, and what he was suggesting, we call them the technical profit. What he was suggesting was that, or what I suggested to him was that you're trying to make LEDs like the incandescent lamp, because if you have DC to the fixture, you don't really need drivers anymore. Now I don't know if that's true 100%, but if we could say that. Okay, no problem. You want to do you want to do a seven you want to do eleven hundred dollar light fixture? Okay, then you have to tell your electrician that they're wiring those DC, and all that's possible. You can do that right now. That's not a problem. That's possible to do. That would be a good way to split the industry, and say if you want linkable, you want Bluetooth ready, all this kind of stuff, you can't supply it with AC. You have to rewire it so it's DC, and then you could belt the road that way for the industry and say if it's AC. It has to be replaceable. The form factors have to be traditional lighting shapes. That's the end of the story. And if you want to make these fancy schmancy, you got all the money in the world. Yeah, 
to pay $70,000 for your office lights? Great. Another 10 grand for make it DC. Because if you got the money, you got the money, right? I think that's the, that would be my suggestion to the industry. Break it up by how you supply electricity to them. Then we don't have any more issues. I don't know. What do you think about that? You've just brought up a whole lot of issues. Um, <laughs> that's a lot, a lot of stuff to throw in. So starting about taking a fixture and, and providing DC to it, it still requires a driver, but a much smaller, simpler driver that doesn't have the conversion from AC to DC in it. It's just basically it's a driver to protect the chips at that point um, you know, for the constant current or, or constant voltage. So, so you don't completely eliminate the driver. And for DC fixtures, you're also pushing the inverter or the you're pushing the technology that converts from AC to DC outside the fixture. It's still in the building somewhere. It's usually a much bigger unit that's driving many, many fixtures. Uh, but there's some efficiencies in that, which is why DC microgrid, microgrids are um, growing in interest and, and uh, activity. Uh, more companies are getting into the DC microgrid space, like Schneider Electric and others. So. Wouldn't that be a wonderful so way to I, drive innovation into that arena? Through some kind of forced requirements? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, as soon as you try to force requirements, it becomes a very political discussion because there's winners and losers and people have different levels of influence in any, in whether it's at the government or a standard setting body. Uh, and once it gets political, that's a whole different direction. It has nothing to do with what's best for the end user, and it has nothing to do with what's best for the technology. It's what's best for the people or the companies involved. So it, it, it's, it's difficult to regulate how manufacturers make fixtures. Only the governments, you know, the U.S. feds and, and California have had, have really taken that on. Um, and in the case of the feds, it's usually to prevent the worst of the worst, not to try to drive any of the types of standardization you're talking about. And that's typically not what DOE or the feds have, have focused on. They just try to block the least efficient product. Um, yeah, and there's that's, actually, that's, that's really rugged too. That's actually really crude. Those laws that they make, like the one that Donald Trump struck down, it was probably the right move to just strike it down because you need to make that more surgical. That that needs to be more surgical. Like you can't just say incandescent lights are gone. There, I mean, there's a lot of things that 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 rely on incandescent lights that there's no LED replacement for. And now you're creating garbage. You're creating garbage. You're taking your infrastructure and you're turning it into garbage. All manner of indicator lamps and you know it's it's not it, it they they they're very crude. Um, with those types of regulations where they try to block, right? They try to block something. And it, it, I don't like that. It's it, it's almost like you're talking, it's about self-interest and stupidity here, David. Mm. Like that's what you're talking about. It's either self-interest and if it, when it goes politics, it goes stupid. And now we're, now we're, I'm with stupid. It's a politician over here. <laughs> Right. You know, I, oh, we gotta, you know, we gotta figure it out. It's like, I, I like that, that stuff makes me feel disgusted and sick. Um, you know, it's like, we can't get anything done. Greg, call Joe Biden right now. He's coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> 
next step? Well, I mean, the odds are that the the regulatory, the drive to push more regulations will probably increase now with the new administration, right? You were talking about how the last administration um, stopped some certain regulations from going into effect. The new administration will probably, you know, odds are, uh, try to drive additional efficiency regulations, whether um, whether there whether there's unintended consequences that that make our industry uh, pull our hair out or not. Um, well, why doesn't the industry do it? In the old days, NEMA did it, right? NEMA was in charge of ballast and lamp shapes. I think was it NEMA or was it ANSI or both? Kind of uh, NEMA would write ANSI standards. Yeah, NEMA okay. ANSI they work together or they're um, they're connected in some ways. NEMA writes ANSI standards. And they would they would define uh, lamp lamp bases and lamp holders and things like that. that I think you're talking about. Yeah, like how did they come up with an F20 T12 CW that everybody made? Like that must have been some agreement that the industry made. It wasn't a law by the government, was it? Uh, NEMA NEMA defines the the lamp bases and the lamp holder um, form factors. Is that so? And they still do. They, they did in the old days. They still do today. Hmm. All right, Greg. And, <laughs> okay. and NEMA's, yeah. NEMA, NEMA isn't the whole industry. You know, something to keep in mind is it was historically the big three. And, you know, obviously that whole world has changed. Mm. Um, in many All ways. right. Well, now, so. yeah. So now we can shift gears. I think Mike is, oh. is done there. So. <laughs> you can take a breath. <laughs> the digital marketing side of the business. How has that obviously changed majorly in the last year? Give us your, your input on that. So if you think about it, the way our industry loved to sell, and it, this is true whether you were a manufacturer or distributor, um, maybe even for contractors, it, it, the, the preferred way of selling and marketing was face-to-face. Whether it was uh, counter days, branch barbecues, trade shows, conferences, uh, or just one-on-one face-to-face meetings, that was always the preferred way to build the relationship, um, which was usually the highest goal of all. So, COVID, COVID uh, did a number on that. Right, face-to-face is the one thing we weren't supposed to do. So, so that created the problem, and at the same time. COVID did uh, knock the industry down about 20% for the lighting industry last uh, for the past year, roughly speaking. And there were some areas like DIY that did much, much better and other areas that did worse. So one of the, one of the things that has been working for some in the lighting industry is moving toward digital automation for lead generation. And I know that's a lot of long words. But basically, it's using some software programs to do the heavy lifting of reaching hundreds or thousands of contacts. And we've all, you know, gotten stupid spam, if you will, that um, that was that was poorly targeted and and was wasting our time. But it's it's possible now to get more and more targeted and to create better and better, more relevant messaging. And that's really uh, the direction that, that I'm trying to uh, help my clients with. 
and most are manufacturers, but I'm talking to a lot of distributors now as well. And this allows you to target uh, contractors or OEMs, or facility managers, even down to specific verticals like oil and gas or higher ed, you know, all the verticals, um, commercial office buildings. Um, and by targeting really tight in these campaigns, you can create more relevant messages that um, that are more useful, higher value to the person receiving them. And then you increase the response rates um, and the reply rates, which is the, the purpose of the campaign is to generate hot leads. So what David is saying is his spam is not spam. <laughs> <laughs> the highest quality spam you can eat is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, Fancy nice. spam. Fancy spam. A, we serve it on a platter on a little cracker with some caviar on it. Yeah. Um, but, to the, but to the businesses, it, it helps them grow their business despite sure. the pandemic. And of course, that's that's what they care about. You know, I, one of the when you have these kind of disruptive events um, that happen in the world, uh, you know, uh, there's this explosion of uh, UVC is a perfect example of this. So you have an explosion of interest. Everybody jumps in, right? Everybody jumps in, and then you see that mushroom cloud kind of fades, but there's fallout, and there's areas where that stays and changes the industry permanently, right? So you have that, that there's UVC lighting is going to be part of the game. We don't, it hasn't sorted itself all out yet, but there's going to be a lot of people that are interested in that passive air, active air disinfection for, um, you know, in their offices, the surface disinfection, you know, whether I think people are going to use surface disinfection in general areas, I don't know, but certainly an airport bathroom would be a nice place for surface disinfection. I don't think anyone would have a problem with that at all. So there's areas where like the things land. With this type of digital marketing, I, I, when we talk to the board of Nailed and when we talk to people, and people are hungry to get back together. They want to they want, they want get to the golf course. They want to see their friends. They want to shake hands again. How, what, what though has permanently changed, David, in relationship to this? Like what's the, the permanent change that's always going to be different now? That's a great question because everybody wants things to sort of go back to the before times, to before COVID. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen just because we want it to. So a couple of things to keep in mind is there will be lingering concerns. Some people are more worried about COVID than other people, even though everyone's moving toward vaccination. There's going to be a, a long tail of people concerned about COVID. That's one issue. Travel budgets have been, uh, well, may never be the same, mm -hmm. right? Companies have learned that they've saved a whole lot of money during COVID on travel for, for a sales team and on, on things like trade shows. So, so the budgets for travel and trade shows and things like that have, have been upended, disrupted, and they may or may not go back to the way they were before COVID. Some companies are liking the trim leaner travel sales budgets and marketing budgets. Um, so, so those are some of the reasons, and if some companies get good at digital marketing, they may not feel the need to go back. So there are different forces, and some are, oh, also work from home. Not everybody's going to give up the, the, the trend toward work from home uh, that happened this year. And if people aren't at their office, uh, the face-to-face -face 
isn't the same. Mm, it's a so little awkward. It may be a lot house. more work to get a face. To it's get a little a awkward to go over to someone's house, actually. Hey, yeah, come on over to my house. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Right. Um, right. Well, the, you, you know what? Here's what's interesting. So when I bought this software, this is a digital software that like ESPN would use. We bought like a light version of it. Right. So what we're recording on now, we can do high definition. Scott can turn it down. So it, if your internet connection isn't that strong, we can turn it down or whatever. But this is the same software that ESPN or CNN would use. This We're using the same one. We bought it five years ago or four years ago or whenever it was. And what was interesting was I was so proficient, proficient and Greg was so proficient at these uh, what people call Zoom calls. I used Google Hangouts primarily. And what would happen was like my accountant would charge me to drive to see me. Okay, for example, travel time. Right. So when they when my account would come see me, it would be one hour with me and then one hour to drive here, one hour to drive back. I get a bill for three hours. Okay? And I told them in 2018, no, 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 we're going to do it on Google Hangouts. And, you know, you know, this person, Greg. Huh? And uh, she's like, what? What are you talking about? I don't want to be on the screen of a computer. Um, that's weird. Actually, it's kind of like, is it pornography? Like, what? like people were kind of freaked out about it, right? In a way, they were like, what? I don't know. Are you recording this? What's happening? That has been vaporized. That any, every grandmother now knows how to do a Zoom call, right? That has been completely vaporized. And there are so many permanent efficiencies from that that will never go away. The screen sharing, the collaborate, the multi-person collaborations that you can do on Zoom calls are, are I don't like the, I don't like giving them pub, but on video calls over the internet, um, that are it's so powerful that technology, and I think we're going to immerse ourselves more and more into that, where it's there's going to be a transition towards um, avatar-like softwares are going to come out where you're going to put on that Oculus headset and you're, you, David's going to be sitting here and Greg's going to be sitting there. And we have that type of material they have. You can put a suit on. I think, I think that's like, as, as technology develops, I think we're going to like, that is some, that trend towards that is never going away. And it's going to be fueled by, not even by business. It'll be fueled by other industries, which I won't mention. But I think you know what I'm talking about. The original internet industry that half the internet is about is about, you know, pornography. I'll just say it. That will fuel that. It, that will give you all the tech. People will pay for that like crazy. And the technology will be developed. And then I think more and more, there's going to be a trend like, you know, our children may go to events every now and then. But the default setting of sending half your employees to Lightfair and it costs you 150 grand or 250 grand or a million bucks. I don't know if that's out there anymore for a long time. I don't think that, that those plays are out there. I don't know. Greg, what do you think, man? I'm with you. I mean, I think, I think it's, it, it's definitely made things more efficient. And I think a lot of people are just going to uh, take that on and, and not change. Now they're going to stay with it. You know, this may, it may, it makes it a lot easier on your schedule and everything else. So, mm -hmm. I think there's people that are going to want to do it and they're just going to force themselves to do what they did in the past when they don't actually always need to do it. So it'll be a decision that people are going to make. David, I, um, I think, yeah. I think there'll be less people, there'll be less travel, maybe fewer trade shows, not zero, but 
people will go to fewer. That could result in some of them going out of business. We saw some go out of business this year already. Um, so so there, it's going to be a sort of recalibration, a rebalancing of travel versus uh, uh, video or video and other digital solutions. Many There's many different kinds of digital solutions. Um, and I, I can talk about some that have, that have been the most effective from, from where I sit. Sure. Yeah. Before, before sure. we do, though, before you do that, I, I make one point. I think you're going to see travel go to higher value, higher intimacy. Like smaller events where you know who you're seeing, why you're seeing, and you really just want to get to know that person a lot better. I think you're going to see a trend towards that rather. Like, I mean, you go to uh, light and build in Germany, 50,000 people, buses taking people everywhere, 20 buildings, can't get a hotel room. I don't know if that sort of stuff's going to really survive in its previous form. I don't think that's going to happen anymore. So I think it'll shrink back. Yeah. Yep. So, so we're all familiar with, with automated email campaigns and perhaps you know you've been hit by automated LinkedIn, and they can work to a degree. What I've found has been highly effective is combining the two and taking your list of a thousand contacts or whatever the number might be, uh, highly targeted, and hitting them from both email and from LinkedIn, for example. And what it does is it drives up response rates, gets you more, gets you more hot leads. Um, so the other thing I mentioned was targeting very tightly. So you could target facility managers in a specific vertical. You could target uh, contractors in a particular geographic region. And in doing that, you can create the messaging that's much more relevant to them. And that can also drive up uh, response rates and, and success. The other, one of the other important techniques is what I call auto-personalization. Sounds Possible, but a lot of the software programs allow um, personalization of the emails and LinkedIn messages uh, in ways that make them feel more authentic uh, and get better response rates. So, for example, in, in some of our campaigns, every contact's name would be in their messaging, their headshot grabbed from LinkedIn, their company name, their company logo, even a screen grab of their company webpage. And the software can do all of that. So you can imagine that has a different feel when everybody, if some people get emails that have their own name, their own face, information about their own company in the email or the LinkedIn message or both. Um, some other differences with these type of campaigns, they're, they're, they're called throttled or, or drip campaigns. And they, um, they slow down how fast they go out. And that can avoid a lot of problems. So these are some of the techniques um, that have been very successful for us. I'm going to make, uh, you know, uh, I also am a consultant. And I'm going to do a little consulting for you. I'm going to send you the, the, the invoice after. Um, <laughs> yes, okay, I'm going to hit you up. But uh, I, I think there's a problem in your industry, in the lead generation industry. So I, I've dealt with lead generation companies. And some of them really turned me off with some of their tactics. Like one of them, a fake LinkedIn profile with a with a nice looking girl that's but not too good looking, you know. 
Um, and she's got a funky name, and that's the person that contacts them, but that person's not real. And then you get contacted by somebody else, and like that kind of stuff is a little bit sleazy to me. But I think majority, I think that you said the word hitting. I think you need to change your terminology, the way you talk about doing this. Because when you say hitting people, there's something offensive in that. Like when I hear that, I don't want to hit people. I don't hit anybody, Greg. You hit anybody? I never hit people. Sometimes. You hit them sometimes? <laughs> uh, but no, for me, like I, I think that the way that lead generation companies talk about it is the way the terminology they use. It makes them... The, it makes the people who are receiving the emails less than human. And I think that you need to humanize it. I think if you were to uh, stop using that terminology, like whenever I call, yeah, we're going to hit this, but we're going to hit you with 50,000 emails. Like, ah, I don't want to hit anybody, bro. I don't hit people. That's not my style. How do we contact them, Jen? Get them and nudge them towards our company. Like change the way we talk about this, because especially if you're going to do it so good, David, it's like, yeah, you're not going to hit people. You're going to nudge them. We'll nudge. Nothing wrong. I nudge people. So I think that the way we talk about lead generation, because lead generation is also very important to Greg and I, I think the way we talk about it is key, David. We got to change that and humanize the people that are receiving it, this message as much as possible so that, it, that, that, that authenticity starts from the way we talk about it. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like in saying hitting, it's inauthentic. The contact is immediately inauthentic, no matter how good it is. Uh, food for thought. I will. I will. Uh, I will have to chew on that. Um, chew on. But I do agree with you that 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 a real person is much better than a than a fake LinkedIn profile. Uh, we recommend there's one designated person at uh, at the company that all the messages go out from, and then all the interested responses come back to that one person, and they're a real real salesperson. Well, you're gonna get hit right now. You're going to hit, get hit with the original. That's right. The original, the light I'm under right now, flicker-free, energy focus, brother, their end focus lighting system. You got to go to E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S dot com, Greg, for energy focus. You spelled it right. Color tuning, dimming, LED tubes. Keep your existing fixture. We had some discussion today on that, didn't we? Mm -hmm. uh, this has that option to keep your existing fixture, make it easy so you can replace it down the line. It is very affordable, too. That's the other thing that is very important to stress with this. A lot of this stuff sounds great, but it's not practical or affordable. This system is. Uh, 27K up to 65K dimming, uh, low flicker as well, built into the LED tube. Boom! You just got hit with focus. That's right. The original flicker-free, always coming out hot with the good products. Yeah. E-N-E-R-G-Y-F-O-C-U-S dot com. And, of course, proud members... Greg, of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's NAILD.org. My hat. I wore my hat out. Worn out. I gotta, Worn out. I'll, give, I'll send you that one. Send me there. another one, brother. Send me another hat. <laughs> yeah. um, and, mm -hmm. uh, of course, David Schiller. Hey, if you made it to the end with us, say bye to the peeps, David. He's waving. Thank you, guys. Thanks, yeah. thanks, thanks to everyone David. listening, and thanks to you, too. Yeah, it was great fun. Bye for now, folks. Written on the rectory wall, there's a sign there for all. If you are lost, the Lord is there to find you.